The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. I am your host, James Anderson. We've got a really fun episode this week. Uh, Jesse Roach and Brett Sayre from Baseball Prospectus, uh, two of the best dynasty guys I know, um, playing leagues with both of them. They, they really know their stuff. And we are going to do a first-year player draft, uh, hoping to go 10 rounds, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how far we get with this. But uh, first of all, thanks for, for joining me, guys. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having us. Always, uh, always fun to, uh, to chat about, uh, players we won't see in the majors for years with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having us, James. It's, you know, we love your work and we greatly respect you and, you know, same goes right back at you. You're one of the, uh, premier, uh, dynasty minds in the industry and, uh, just pleasure to be on the show. Yeah. I mean, uh, with Brett, it's kind of gotten to the point where I just like don't really trade with him because I, I just <laughs> I never I never like uh, where things go with our talks, uh, which is a, a compliment. Um, and with Jesse, I mean Jesse, how many points did you win the P three sixty five XDL by this year? Like thirty. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was battling for second place for for a couple months, and I did, had no illusions of of catching you. So I mean, you guys are definitely two of the best out there. Um, before we like get into the actual draft, uh, do you guys have any sort of biases or sort of tendencies when it comes to just a general first year player draft? Like, are there certain player types that you avoid or that you tend to be to gravitate towards? Is there anything like that, or are you just analyzing each player individually and just kind of go from there? Um, I, Jesse, you want to start this one off? Sure. Uh, usually in first year player drafts, I do tend to go hitter. Uh, heavy if possible just because you know there's no such thing as a pitching prospect it it equally applies to first year players um, maybe more so than most especially prep pitching pitchers because they're so unpredictable and their timelines are so uh, their proximity is so far out that investing any type of uh, pick value in a prep pitcher is incredibly risky and the upside is not as high as maybe people like to think uh, but otherwise, yeah, I like to do, I like to invest hitters. I think it really depends on the type of league. I think in a strict dynasty, I'm less concerned about proximity. I'm more concerned about upside. But 
in a lot of leagues where there are limited amount of keepers you can have, uh, especially prospect keepers, I do tend to lean toward college bats if possible. Or uh, in on the occasional, occasionally I'll go pitcher, and when it does happen, it's almost always a college arm that has big upside. Yeah, I think uh, we we all have our we all have our tendencies. I I tend to fall in love with a lot of high school bats and that's just where where I end up. I think there's, you know, I, I like to go in to one of two very divergent paths, um, either the either the true pure upside guy, or give me the guy with give the really good hit tool and approach and see what they can figure out, see what else they can figure out around it. Um, you know, kind of the middle ground is you know, are tend to be the players that I will not, uh, I, I will not spend high picks on. Um, but you know, that does, that's not to, not to say I won't, uh, I won't take college bats because I will. Um, I almost never take high school arms at the beginning of a draft, but once you get towards the end of a draft, I will definitely take high school arms because honestly, there's the, the information that we have on these guys is just not anywhere near what we have on, college arms or high school bats or especially college bats. So, um, you know, spending a first or second round pick on a, on a high school prep pitcher, not a great idea spending, you know, three picks in rounds five through seven on three prep pitchers, probably not a bad idea. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, other than that, I mean, I'd play like, like you guys know, I mean, I tend, I tend to get the guys that I want in my head and I, <laughs> I tend to go get them and, you know, sometimes they work out. Well, uh, you will have the opportunity to get whoever you want because Brett is making the first pick and Jesse will follow him and then I'll be at the turn for two and, and we'll on and on we'll go. Um, and so we're, we're just going to be taking uh, draftees, uh, not going to be messing around with international guys yet. Um, so, Brett, you are on the clock for the very first pick in this first year player draft. Sounds good. I'll I'll feign excitement for this just because I will I will preface this pick by saying that I I think this is probably the worst year in <laughs> seven or eight years to have the top pick in a first year player draft. It goes back at least at least well, seven or eight years. Actually, we've, been, we've all been doing this a long time. It's not. Agree. You say something. Yeah, I just wanted to interject really quick, like on on that point. Like, where are you guys slot? Whoever the first guy is on your board, where do they like, slot in your prospect rankings? Just to kind of give people that type of context. I don't think there's personally. I don't think there's a top thirty prospect in this draft. Um, there are. It's questionable as to how many top fifty guys there even are. There maybe four if you're. Four, if you're confident in, you know, and we'll get there, but four, there could be as many as four, but honestly, there could be as few as two, <laughs> which is uh, not good. Yeah, um, uh, I actually have one at 25. It's the highest I have anybody ranked from this class. Everyone else is after 30. Uh, actually, everyone, I believe, is after 35. Uh, so, Yes, it's not the strongest top of the class. I think when Brett and I were initially looking into this class and putting together consensus rankings, uh, Brett repeatedly opined about the quality of this class, and it was not kind. <laughs> it was not kind. I had to sit through Brett, I guess I'm going to say whining, whining about this class. He, he got a taste right there. It's not a strong class, 
And I think if you have a pick at the beginning of this class this year, beginning of the draft class this year, you may want to try and trade it if possible. Trade either trade down or trade for a like for like prospect. Um, I think that often high picks in first year player drafts get overvalued because they have this nebulous value. It could be any player, and people get uh, become in love with the idea of drafting a player. Um, so if you could trade this pick for like a top 20 prospect, uh, if you have like the first overall pick or a top three pick or something, you know, I would jump at it. Uh, Brett, even in email mentioned <laughs> next year's draft class. And yeah, if you could trade this first year pick, first round pick for a pick that's guaranteed to be a, a top three pick next year, uh, do it. Cause next year's draft class is a much, much stronger. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, All right. Well, Brett, you're 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 up. So on that note, I'll take the player who I'm I'm pretty sure Jesse considers to be the the top twenty five uh, prospect there, and uh, I'll take Jordan Lawler. I think I I think the I think the overall group of tools that he brings to the table I think is more attractive from a from a high school bat. Um, compared to the other guys who are there. I mean, I think, I don't think he quite has the upside that, uh, that Khalil Watson has and that's okay. I think the, I think he has a much better chance of being a strong fantasy contributor in mixed leagues. And it just, it pains me to have to say that about the first overall pick, because I don't think Lawler is a superstar. Um, I don't think he's an elite fantasy player, but I think you're hard pressed to find one in this class. So I'm going to take the guy who I think is going to, has, who has the best chance of being really good. All right. Well, uh, I have the second pick in this, in this uh, mock and, you know, actually Lawler was not going to be my first pick. And this is uh, based on on base percentage formats and a player. I think that actually has potentially more upside in OBP formats is Marcelo Meyer. Uh, so, he was the fourth overall pick for the Red Sox. You know, he is basically a shortstop that is really just a hit, a hit tool driven profile. Doesn't have much speed. Doesn't have the type of athleticism that's going to drive stolen bases likely at peak. Uh, but he, what he does have is a beautiful, picturesque left hand swing. It generates tons of contact already. Uh, seemingly easy pop, but you know, there's more in the tank and more power is likely to come. And I think taking him or ranking him high is banking on power that is going to potentially come because he does have a projectable six foot three frame. Um, so there's a chance that he could develop, you know, 25 plus home run power at peak. You know, again, that's in a, in a good world. That's a good outcome. Very good outcome from, for Meyer. Um, a lot of people have comped him to Corey Seager as a prospect. I think that's very fair. Um, I know that's a very high bar to reach, but I think if you're going to lay out comps, you, are often, you know, dreaming anyway. Uh, so something like a 290 average with 25 plus home runs, I think is a type of peak production you could potentially anticipate for Meyer. And I think he has a little less risk than a lot of other prep prospects like Lawler because of his hit tool. Uh, you know, his debut wasn't like loud. He hit like two, he hit 275, 377, 440 in the Florida complex league. And his whiff rate was 33.5%. So not great. But again, remember, he's really young. He also stole seven bases in that brief debut. Um, so, you know, maybe there's more speed. Um, and again, you know, stolen bases do not, you don't have to have raw speed to steal bases. Yeah, It's all, a lot of it's instinct driven. So maybe there's more 
speed there, speed upside for, for Meyer as he gets older. But again, stolen bases in the complex league, you know, you could not count on those at all. But yes, Marcelo Meyer at second overall. Brett, how does Meyer's hit and power upside compare to Lawler's for you? I think it's a little bit higher. I think, you know, Jesse's right. I think the hit tool is a little bit better for, for Meyer than, uh, than Lawler. I just, I like the overall skill set. And honestly, I don't, you know, and this is where this, this is kind of a really fascinating tangent is that I don't really give a whole lot of thought as to average versus on base percentage when we're talking about players that are that young, I think yeah. you're, I think you're, you're too far away from really having that keen of a sense of what a player is. And obviously there's exceptions to, to everything, or there are some players that are really, you can really tell that they are going to be uh, on base machines or are really going to be free swingers. But I think unless you're talking about, unless you're talking about the, the far edges of that, you know, I think, uh, I think there's not a, you know, it's it's a good tiebreaker, you know, a good way a good way to lean, but I don't think it's a I don't think it's something that should be really driving people's decision making. Are you concerned about Lawler's shoulder surgery? No. He's too I I don't I think, think concerned. See, you you say that, but like I we we got into this we got into this argument. We were doing the dynasty rankings. Like I would I I don't care about shoulder surgery for Corbin Carroll. Like I don't we 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 talk when when players are that young, unless it's something that unless it's something that is a severe enough injury that could potentially be career altering, um, even if it's slightly timeline altering, I just I'm I'm not that concerned about it. I think if an injury like this is to happen, it right now is the best time for it to happen to Lawler. I mean, if it's closer mm-hmm. to debut, that would push his ETA out further. And right now I don't think it really impacts his ETA a big a big deal, but I think it does impact if you're thinking about potentially trading him or flipping him. Uh, it does impact that because I think he'll have he'll take longer to build value, uh, perceived value within like the fantasy or dynasty community because he may you know have a delayed start. He may start slowly because often hitters do come back slowly from shoulder surgery. So that's something that I would consider too when you're evaluating Lawler's, you know, dynasty value. I know trade value is not something we really weigh in our dynasty rankings, but I know a lot of people do. So if you're thinking about trade value in terms of these prospects, I think you have to deem Lawler. All right. I am up for two picks. Uh, you know, this is just a testament to how terrible this class is. Um, I, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take uh, Henry Davis and Khalil Watson uh you know Davis is a catcher which is just not something that I enjoy taking really in any kind of prospect draft but uh I do believe he's the best college hitter in the class um you know it's just it's a really weak class for college hitters um you know he's a catcher that's that sucks um but I I think he's gonna hit for power uh, I think he's going to be able to stick at the position. Um, you know, I think he'll be like hitting in the middle of that lineup when it's actually a, a decent young lineup in like four years, three years. Um, and then with Watson, uh, I think he's got the highest ceiling in the class. Um, and I, I kind of think uh, teams are teams and uh, dynasty players sometimes are still a little iffy on shorter players. Um there's kind of that lack of perceived, you know, looking the part, um, 
but I, I just think he's got just crazy bat speed, crazy raw power. Um, he's as fast as any of the top guys, except for, for maybe Lawler. So, um, you know, I, I'm not thrilled about these picks at three and four of a first year player draft, but, uh, it is, it is what it is. Any thoughts on those two picks? I think no, I totally agree with you. The Watson is Watson's got the highest upside, um, in this draft class overall from a fantasy perspective. Um, you know, and for, for the reasons you mentioned, I mean, I think he's, you know, he's, he's number three on my list. I think there's, there's a lot to like about him. Um, you know, Davis, I, it really is a testament to how crappy the, uh, the, the college hitter class is. He probably, you know, he probably is the best natural hitter in, in the college class, which is just really strange. All right. Uh, Jesse, back to you. Yeah. Uh, so this is the fifth pick in this class and I'll be taking a pitcher. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, Jack Leiter. Right, so Jack Leiter was the second overall pick. You know, you would think that a dominant college arm from the SEC that pitched for Vanderbilt had 179 strikeouts and 110 innings with a 41.6% strikeout rate would be, you know, people would be like clamoring over him for in Dynasty. But you know, there are concerns with Leiter. Um, before I get to those, though, I want to talk about what's really attractive, and that's his fastball. So his fastball is a big mid-90s fastball with extension and, and carry. Um, it has a very good vertical approach angle. I mean, he's not the biggest guy, and that's one of the concerns. You know, he's only 6'1". He's not like the like a heavy 6'1". He's sort of a slight 6'1". Six, six and I think that's the concern is how much he'll be able to, how many innings he'll actually be able to carry in the major leagues at peak. Uh, that's one of the big concerns. I'm not as concerned with that these days. You know, we've seen a lot of pitchers and sort of a transition in within major league thinking towards smaller arms in general, because teams are realizing that vertical approach angle is actually kind of important. And the best pitchers at vertical approach angle are shorter pitchers. And a lot of these arms that have really succeeded this year, Freddie Peralta, players like that are smaller. They get huge extension and they have basically the modern analytical fastball. And that's exactly what Jack Leiter brings. He also has three secondaries. They're all perfectly fine. I mean, none of them really stand out. And that's the other concern. He needs to de- further develop these secondaries, curveball, slider, and changeup. Um, you know, I think depending upon what types of reports you're looking at or when you even see Leiter any given day, any which one might be a little bit better than the others. And I think that all of them show promise. And, you know, given his background and you know, it's not the best organization to land in with the Rangers, but I think that he's going to arrive quickly. I think he will get tons of strikeouts, which is what you want from your starting pitcher. And I think that he has a very high floor because I think he's going to be good. It's just about how good he will be. And of course, there's always risk because he's a pitcher and his arm could blow out any minute. Uh, but I, if I'm going to bet on a pitcher in this class, it's definitely lighter and I'm perfectly fine with him at this point in any any first year player draft yeah i mean i think this is this is kind of around where he's gonna go um brett you are at the wheel for two all right well uh so i'm going to uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot for uh, for for upside here uh first guy i'm gonna take is brady house i think there's there's a couple of things going on here one i think there's a little bit of uh 
a little bit of prospect fatigue here. House was a was a big deal like a year and a half ago when this uh, you know when this class was you know the next class out to be drafted. Um, you know, I think a lot of the reasons why people liked him then are still, you know, are still around now. I mean, he's got he's got some of the most power in the draft class. He's, you know, he's got a solid bat. He went out. He was, you know, had a near thousand OPS in the in the complex league. There wasn't very many at bats for what it's worth, but he he went out and showed he could at least do some damage in some games. Um, he was young on draft day, which is what you always want. I think he, had, he was 18, I think a couple of days when he was drafted and, you know, he just, he looks, he looks the type as, as, uh, as bad of a, uh, as, as bad of a metaphor as that, as that is. Uh, so, you know, I, I would, I, I will happily given the, uh, the other options that are around here, uh, take my chances that he, uh, kind of regains that form and turns into a, you know, two, 260 265 hitter with uh with 30 to 35 homers i think uh you know i think it's in i think it's in the realm of possibility for him uh the other guy i'm just gonna throw my hands up in the air and be like yeah give me the power speed guy in colorado and give me benny montgomery i have no idea what he's gonna be but he's got the tools to be whatever he wants to be i think shy of khalil watson he's got the the highest fantasy upside among prep hitters and you know throw him in cores and that's even better so it's fun to dream on. Might as well dream when the rest of the draft class looks like this. And then you have to wait like until 20, 2040 for when the Colorado actually like bring him up and play him. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those for those two seasons that they call him up, he might, he might do something. So with both those guys, House and Montgomery, um, you know, I think going into the draft, clearly, you know, the the hit tool was kind of the one knock maybe on both guys. Like if if you were to be looking for reasons why it might not work out. Um, and then they both made contact at like a decent clip at the complex level. Like, do you, how much stock do you guys put into, you know, a guy having a, a better strikeout rate than maybe you were anticipating? Cause I like got with Montgomery, you know, I, you know, I think there's a, a chance the hit tool could just be really poor. Uh, and he exceeded my expectations in complex ball, but I mean, the pitching there is terrible. Like, do you guys put much stock at all in in that type of performance after a guy signs? Uh, I'm I'm gonna say very very little, um, and you know there's like, there's just there there's not enough of a sample. The the uh, the pitchers that they're facing just it's it I, I really would not put almost any weight into that. It's yeah. good to see. It, it's but it's really all it's really good for is confirmation bias. It's, it's better. I mean, it's better than the alternative. I mean, if, yes. if they went out there and just had a like a forty percent K rate against, against complex pitchers, that would suck. But that's true. But I don't think I would. I I feel like if Brady House went out and had a you know five seventy OPS with you know with a thirty five percent strikeout rate instead of. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What he did, I, I think I would still take him at the wheel here. Fair enough. Yeah, and I, I'm not on with you all. I don't think it's something, it's not something I put a lot of weight on, but I think it's something I will consider. You know, if a player crashes and burns in their initial debut and shows something really alarming, I think we have to at least consider it. You know, if someone like whiffing has a strikeout rate of 40% and a walk rate of like 5% and it's in the complex league or in low A and they're a college rope bat, those are concerning things. And, you know, especially if those were prior concerns, you know, if there was concern about the hit tool and it gets, you know, again, confirmation bias. Um, I do think it, you're right, James, it also, you know, lessens my concern a little bit about some other players, you know, if they really come out and hit and really perform even against complex league arms, um, you know, especially for college high school bats, if they're out there in the complex, because a lot of these high school bats, really the competition level, that's was has been a big concern for many of them and if they're coming out and killing it in complex or if it's a college bat who was in from like a lesser conference and is, is kills it in like low a yes the competition level is not great but they came from a place where the competition competition level was really bad so seeing them perform does give me more confidence that maybe we were right or maybe the industry's right about you know if they have an aggressive hit tool on them for example and i'm going to give an example right now because it's going to be my next pick uh colton kowser is my next pick <laughs> uh so colton kowser was the fifth overall pick for the orioles and you know it's just what typical orioles stuff they do with these high picks and that is draft a player under for an underslot deal and spread money out because they are cheap <laughs> but uh you know colin kowser and i think he is a great example of what this class what the type of potential this class actually does bring and you know we've said this is a weak class but there's also a lot of uncertainty with this class because of well covid you know we didn't have a 2020 season for the most part for a lot of these players some players basically didn't play at all in 2020 because they their season started late we didn't have uh you know summer leagues for some of these for a lot of these players you know players like colton kowser who could have improve their stock by you know tearing up the cape they didn't have that opportunity he didn't have the opportunity to play in the cape you know he didn't have the opportunity to you know build his track record to have a huge breakout 2020 to then you know have a conf confirming 2021 so this limited track record i think is going to cause some players to fall in these dynasty drafts in these first year player drafts that maybe have more upside than we think um, I think there's going to be a lot of hidden value late in these drafts. And yes, we're not late in the draft yet, but I think Colin Kowser might be a tad underrated. Jesse, think, or go, go, keep going. Oh, sorry. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Kowser had a, you know, a huge debut. Again, you know, small sample. He was in the complex league and in low A, 
but he just utterly dominated. Uh, and I'll just focus briefly on the low A performance, which was 124 bats, but he hit 347, 476, 429 with just a 5.8% uh, swinging strike rate. Um, that kind of performance is very good confirmation that, you know, the hit tool aggressive hit tool grades people were play, you know, evaluators were giving Kowser might likely be correct that this is a big hit tool driven prospect. Uh, there is hidden upside. I think power upside because he has an, a projectable six, three frame. Um, you know, he hit for a good power in college, but again, weaker conference. So, you know, I think that I want to, like Brett said earlier, I like taking chances. He likes taking chances on players with big hit tools and who may be able to figure out the power speed. And I think Hauser is exactly that type of player, and he's going to potentially hit in Camden Yards. There's hidden upside here. Um, so, yes, Colton Hauser at this pick. All right. Uh, it'll be to me for two picks, but first, a quick message from our sponsors. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down on blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's Fantasy Podcast. All right. Um, you know, this is... <laughs> we talked about, like, biases at the beginning. Um, my my probably main one is that, I you know, when possible, I'm going to go after college hitters. Uh, I, I tend to chase upside uh, on the international market. Um, I never really put a ton of stock into to hit tool grades of, of prep guys, uh, before they sign. And obviously, uh, like you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to use my early picks on pitchers if possible. So I'm going to take, uh, Matt McLean and Trey Sweeney. Um, McLean, obviously kind of, uh, you know, hit tool speed up the middle guy, but I think the the power is uh, maybe a little underrated with him, especially now that he's got a chance to play at Great America. Um, you know, I think he could be like a leadoff hitter, maybe even a, a number two hitter, um, steal around 20 bases, something like that, uh, hit for a decent enough average with double digit homers uh, if everything works out. So um, I mean, in this in this class, I think that's that's pretty solid um, towards the back of the top ten. And then uh, Trey Sweeney, you know, I, I think he is one of the guys where I'd give him a bit of a bump in OBP versus batting average. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a high OBP, high slug guy if, if everything works out. I think uh, it's a good fit for him um, as a lefty hitter uh, with the Yankees and. 
I have no clue where he's going to end up defensively. Um, but, you know, you just hope that the bat is, if the bat is as good as it can be, then it won't really matter and they'll, they'll find a spot for him. But, um, you know, these are guys who are borderline top 100 prospects for me overall. And I'm already taking them at this point in the, the first year player draft. So um, not, not ideal. No, not ideal. <laughs> I, it's, I think that the top of this class is obviously weak, and I think that the middle of the class is weak, <laughs> but it will eventually get to a point where I think the class actually kind of normalizes and it's actually okay, <laughs> but uh, we're not there yet. All right, so for my next pick, it's another, for me, borderline top 100 guy, uh, and it's all about speed, and that's Sal Freelich. Uh, Sal Freelich is most certainly a contact speed bat uh, a lefty a smaller left-handed hitter um a lot of these players get a little bit underrated in these first year player drafts i mean we've seen like alec thomas um corbin carroll players like that who people did not anticipate developing much power because they're so small truly develop legit power i'm not at all saying that that's exactly what freelick is because his current approach and swing path is not geared toward power it's a, path, a swing path that is designed to basically put the ball on the ground and beat out you know get infield hits there is a little bit of hidden power there i think that you know at peak he maybe can get up depending upon how his development goes maybe you know be around 10 home runs give or take um, but it really is speed and you know i think there's legit 30 plus stolen base potential here uh in his debut he had 12 stolen bases uh across uh, the complex league low a and high a he scuffled a bit in high a but long season um i can give him a bit of a pass after obliterating low a so it was really a tale of two two uh a ball uh performances there but uh you know this is really a guy who's hopefully going to hit for a good average provide a lot of speed and some hidden pop and hopefully arrives soon. He gets to play for Milwaukee, so it's going to be a favorable home park, uh, potential like table setter, table setting bat. And you know, I, I just think that a player like Freelich, again, you know, underrated in, in always in these first year player drafts. And there is you know a high floor for players like him, and of you know a higher ceiling than people often think. Yeah, I think the I think the Kowser and Frelick picks. Um, I mean, I think to me both those guys are, are a little similar, just in that you know you feel good about the hit tool, and with with Frelick you feel good about the speed, mm-hmm. um, and then it's just a matter of like how much power comes. Uh, Kowser obviously has the size. Uh, I, I'm worried a little about his swing plane, but obviously that can change. And I mean, he he doesn't need to do too much um, to get to some power, and then. With Frelick, I think you're I think you're spot on about you know projecting maybe ten homers or something like that. Um, Brett, your last pick was uh, Benny Montgomery at seven. Did Jesse and I do any damage to your queue? Uh, yeah, I mean Mc- McLean and Frelick were going to be the next two guys on my board. So um, so yeah, I think uh, I was kind of hoping I knew Jesse wouldn't take McLean if he didn't go to you, but I uh, I thought I thought you might let me get him. I think, uh, you know, I think all the stuff you said about him is right. I think there's, I think there's a lot of potential for him to do kind of what we see Jonathan India doing now, which is, you know, a good overall player. Um, nothing that's going to 
wow you when you when you look at them on a day-to-day basis but someone who accumulates fantasy value but uh, you took them so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll move past that um i'll uh i'm gonna go and uh i feel like the guy at the end of the pants sketch on the state oh, i'm very dating myself with that reference uh, i'm going to go against my own advice here i'm gonna take jackson job um i think that at this point you know the other bats around that are available are you know are, are all either they all have their flaws they all have their their weak points uh and job's fastball slider combo is is just really good um i think there's you know i think there's the potential for him to be um you know to be a uh you know an sp1 eventually and you know if, if the if the prep pitcher you're taking in the first 15 picks of the draft doesn't have that upside you've made a horrible horrible mistake um <laughs> But uh, I think he's got enough upside to warrant here. And then with my second pick, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my first dude, and I, I'm gonna take Carson Williams, uh, the first pick of the Rays. You know, he was a two way player in high school, um, just extremely extremely athletic, has a, a ton of upside everywhere. But uh, the Rays draft him as a shortstop. He's gonna play shortstop, and he's got he's got a lot of power. I think the approach will improve as he as they focus him on being an offensive player, um, and I think he's I, I think his upside is uh, is really quite high. I think he could ultimately hit for batting average. I think he could hit uh, you know twenty five to thirty homers. And they uh, you know they seem to know what they're doing down in Tampa. So uh, not the worst place in the world for him to uh, fall, even though you know home park ultimately won't help him too much. I could have predicted the Carson Williams pick. <laughs> That's one of uh, one of Brett's guys for sure. All right. Well, as you know, right now we're weeding and we're getting into the area of the class where I think it's fair to say it's time to start gambling more on upside. I mean, we're often gambling with all these picks, but you know, right now there's so little we know about a lot of these players, and the what we do know is, you know. I think that it can change pretty rapidly. And I think we're seeing that, you know, even just from these brief debuts, I think we can see some changes in, in perception about a lot of these players. And I'm going to play pick a player who actually I don't rank as high as some of the other players on the board just because I want to point, because I know that James is going to pick him, basically. <laughs> um, and I want to protect that, and I, I think that, I want to point out the fact that we need to change perception quickly about some of these players, but I'm going to pick Jay Allen, who's an outfield prospect for the Reds. Uh, Allen, you know, he was the uh, first-round compensatory pick, 30th overall. Uh, a guy who was a two-way player in uh, high school, and it was, you know, like three, a lot of two, three-way player, three-way three player, Andrew. <laughs> um, like a lot of players uh, who are focused on multiple sports, you know, there's a lot of hidden upside, a lot of upside here that maybe it hasn't been tapped because he hasn't fully focused on baseball. Um, Williams is one of them um, for what it's worth. But uh, with Allen, you're talking about a player who has legit huge power and speed upside and that his hit tool is maybe better than a lot of people thought uh, in his debut again, complex league, but you know, he had a massive, massive debut. Um, 
in the Arizona uh, Complex League where he hit 328, 445, 57 with 14 stolen bases in, in 19 games. Um, again, you know, big speed. Uh, there is big power there, and the Hitzel's a lot better than anticipated. He, again, very brief debut, uh, small sample, but his his whiff rate in that sample was just 18.8%, which is very strong for a prospect that had questions about how he'll handle more advanced pitching. Um, and that type of Hitzel, if, hit, if this Hitzel could even get to just average at peak, I think that this is a guy who has huge upside. And at this point in the draft, I'm willing to gamble on upside and to try and snipe James and James and protect my next pick. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think with, you know, when we we're talking earlier about like Brady House, uh, Benny Montgomery, um, you know, I, I, I think there's a, a, a certain players where you don't want to read too much into what they did at the complex level. But with a guy who has that strong of a showing like Allen did, um, you know, it could be a false positive, but it it's a data point and it's like, well, look, like if, if some of this was legit and you, you look at the tools, I mean, we could be talking about one of the better players from this class. I mean, I really like what the Reds did uh, getting McLean and then Allen. So yeah, I mean, you, you definitely snipe me there, Jesse. Um, I'm going to take another uh, prep hitter who had an extremely strong showing in the ACL that has kind of changed, you know, what, what I thought of him um, pre-draft and that's James Triantos. Uh, infielder with the Cubs, uh, like Allen, he got over two million to sign uh, outside of the first round, and um, you know he he had an awesome uh, performance in a, a small sample. But you know there's a there's a chance for a, a plus hit tool with plus power here, and you know who knows what position he ends up at uh, on the infield. But um, you know his, his performance was so strong after signing. Uh, I think you, you have to look at that and say there's there's big time four category upside. Uh, maybe it's not legit, but there isn't a player left who I'm very confident in. Um, so I, I'm just going to roll the dice with Triantos. And, and I think Allen and Triantos are kind of the two prep hitters from this class who improved their stock the most since the draft with their performances after signing. And so I think those are going to be some pretty trendy guys, uh, you know, back into the first round, early second round and first year player drafts. Um, my second pick is going to be Connor Norby, who was a guy that I was uh, extremely high on uh, pre-draft. Um, just, you know, a hit to it. Like I, I have a soft spot for hit tool, second baseman, and he kind of is that, but I think uh, the power and speed is a little underrated with him. I, I I've seen that he was clocked as, as at least a plus runner as an amateur. Um, not sure how that speed's going to age, but I also think there's double digit homer pop there. So I think there's five category juice and you like the landing spot with the O's. So uh, James Triantos with the Cubs and Connor Norby with the Orioles are going to be my picks at 15 and 16. Um, back to you, Jesse. Yeah, I think that the Norby pick, I could have predicted that before this draft even began. <laughs> I, I was certain that Norby would go to you. Um, and I like it because I think that there is, you know, again, similar to Kowser, these players like Norby who were in weaker conferences and just utterly 
dominated those conferences, there may be hidden upside that we haven't hasn't really we haven't really seen yet. Um, and again, Orioles, it's a potentially nice future landing spot in Camden Yards and the AL East, but long time from there. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Brett recently took Jackson Job. I'm going to take a, a player who is not a prep pitcher, but is in an arguably similar risky, risky demographic, and that's yep. a prep catcher. Yep. Um, prep catchers are scary. You, they're the tight, the time, the the lead time you have to give a prep catcher before they actually give you fantasy value on your on your active roster is forever because you know they have to obviously improve and adjust as hitters, but also the defensive bar catcher is so high that they have to you know and learn they have to learn so much. Um, I'm taking Harry Ford. I guess I didn't even say who I was taking. I'm taking Harry Ford. He was the 12th overall pick for Seattle Mariners. Um, I'm I'm again going a little bit off my rankings here. I mainly because I really think it's appropriate to take him at this point, and I also want to talk about him. <laughs> uh, he's a rare catcher that has incredible athleticism. You know, this is a a plus runner with big raw power. Um, the type of right now, it's you know, it's average to above probably right now. I think it could potentially grow into plus power at peak as well. Um, there is questions about how his hit tool will end up rounding out. And I think there is questions, you know, other obvious questions about, you know, look, this is a prep catcher. I mean, is he going to catch? Like, what's his role going to be? You know, they could move him off of catcher. Um, but, you know, I think too often we are deeming prep catchers um, as an industry uh, too much after years and years of disappointment. And, you know, maybe we're starting to come around to him again because, you know, we have Francisco Alvarez and Tyler Soderstrom who had huge years this year. Um, but then we're going to, we often will forget that, look, they're also probably not arriving until maybe 2024. <laughs> so, you know, just be wary and be prepared to be patient with players like Ford. But if, if he clicks and as he gets, gets closer to the majors, there's just huge upside. I mean, this is a catcher who could be a 2020 player in the major leagues potentially. Um, and, you know, that's just, you know, uncall, unheard of. And even the promise of Dalton Varsho, who is not even remotely uh, as lauded as Ford as a, you know, definitely not as a prep, definitely not as a draftee out of college, you know, and definitely not even as a prospect at his peak. Even the promise of Dalton Varsho, he was a top, you know, 150 pick before the season. Um, and I guarantee you that Varsho will probably be a top 150 guy, you know, speculative guy before next season too. So, or top 250. But yeah, I mean, Ford has massive upside. If it clicks, 2020 catcher, I mean, that is a rare commodity. Brett, before you make your picks, what's your take on uh, Harry Ford in terms of, like, where would you be eyeing him in a first-year player draft? And just kind of, like Jesse was sort of alluding to, um, I feel like since I've been ranking prospects, there are more good fantasy catching prospects than ever. I don't know if that if that uh, kind of aligns with what you guys have noticed, but I, I, I don't know if that means I should change how I value catching prospects if there are more good ones than there have been in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, as kind of the, the person who was, I guess, driving the, the Tyler Soderstrom train last year i think there's you know the thing that the thing that i always watch out for with prep catchers is you know it is multiple um 
you know, multiple paths to value. Um, and what you want is, you know, what you, what you get out of Ford is you get the, uh, and what you get out of Soderstrom as well, um, the athleticism to play a position other than catcher. Uh, because that, if they if they start if they really come out and hit like gangbusters and pro ball, then you have uh, you have teams that will just pull these guys off the position and bring them to another, and then you have a uh, you have a you know Will Myers type scenario, and you have a really really good prospect who's now a really good hitter at another position who's going to play every day. Um, you know the path to being a traditional catcher, as as you both have noted, is is long. But I think it's, you know, I think there's, it's gotten a little bit shorter and I think it's gotten a little bit shorter because the things that pro teams look at are being indoctrinated in these prep catchers at such a young age now. Um, so you have, you have less ground to make up, I think, from a, from a receiving, from a framing standpoint, I think those things are so in, ingrained in the game now that they're worked on it at such a younger age that there's slightly i say slightly because it's still a huge a huge jump but there's slightly less of a learning curve as a prep catcher now going into pro ball as i think there was five to ten years ago um and that's purely that's purely anecdotal and and opinion but i think it's uh, i i think it's something that if we start to see more data points like what we've seen recently, I think it you know might be something we really need to consider when we go through and do these rankings. Um, so I guess my picks now. I'm I'm gonna start by uh, by kind of reinforcing the fact that I don't I don't like to abide by stereotypes. Um, this is kind of a, it, I'm going to call it the Nick Madrigal corollary, even though this player is like literally the exact opposite of Nick Madrigal. Um, you know, Madrigal got dinged because he was, he was small and everybody knows what, why he was dinged. Um, and I'm taking James Wood here, who is just a gigantic human being. Um, he's six, seven. He is, uh, he's basically the closest thing we've, we've had to Aaron judge since Aaron judge came around um, just in terms of physical presence. Um, he's got, he's got big power. He's uh, he's not slow either. I mean, I, I, he stole, if memory serves, I think he stole double digits in the complex, which not a very important data point, but um, the more important data point is that the Padres think he can, he can stick in center field for at least a while, which again, it, you know, the, the, the ways that his story ties in with Aaron Judge's story is, is really fascinating and not that he should be comp to Aaron Judge just because he, uh, you know, it's kind of a, an easy physical comp. Um, but it's, it's the kind of thing where I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be the kind of person who's, a, who's afraid to take someone who doesn't look like they should be the kind of player that they are um, if I think they can put up the numbers. And you know, Woods got just absolute thunder in his bat, and he had a very strong pro debut in the complex league. He he certainly showed that. Uh, I'm re he's going to be one of these players that I am most fascinated to watch in 2022 uh, because he could go in so many different directions. But if he comes out and shows the power, and um, you know, strikeouts are always going to be a thing with him. He's just he's a big guy with a big strike zone. Um, if he can, if he can work to kind of to 
you know, make everything happen around what will ultimately be a, you know, a relatively high strikeout rate. Uh, I think, I think we could be talking about a potential top 50 prospect at the end of next year. Um, so that's my first pick. The other guy is, you know, more boring, but I, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take Colson Montgomery, the White Sox. I, you know, I think a lot of the, you know, Justin and I have talked about this. A lot of the things that people like about Montgomery are similar to things that people like about Mayer. And he's just got, he's got the, he's got the right approach at the plate. He looks like he's a hitter. Um, he's old for the draft class, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, people said that about Bobby Witt and, you know, those people should uh, not, should be forced not to say that about anyone else again. Uh, you know, I think there's, I think there's a reasonable chance he could become a, you know, a solid fantasy producer and he's good enough that I don't want to take another arm. (laughs) (sighs) Ah, Yeah, that was a a very, very real snipe right there for me. (laughs) I was uh, hoping I'd get Colson Montgomery up with my last pick, um, with my, with this pick, but oh, well, (laughs) Uh, I think one thing that's sort of interesting about Montgomery, uh, you know, he's a six-four shortstop. I mean, how it's unclear whether he'll actually stick it short. I think, but um, there have again, you, you mentioned Meyer. I think you know, there's been comps between Montgomery and Seager as well. And in his debut, again, complex league, his whiff rate was just fourteen point six percent over hundred and eleven plate appearances. That's pretty impressive. Um, even though you know, again, the sample's not big, the, the competition level's not huge, great. But, uh, you know, that's one of the lower – I'd have to look at the leaderboard, but I think that's one of the lower whiff rates at that level. Um, that was – that's just been, you know, that, his ability to make contact. If he can get to his power, uh, I think that, you know, he has huge upside. I mean, there is a legit outside shot at, you know, potential six hit, six power, I think. But uh, – so, yeah, I think that I'm a little upset, <laughs> peeved that, that Brett took him. But – all same, I'm going to go pitcher again. Uh, <laughs> um, oh well. So there's a few college arms in this draft uh, that were all that were taken high, and you know I think that this next one has a boatload of risk, um, and it's an Angels arm, Sam Bachman, ninth pick in the draft. <sighs> yeah. So the problem with Bachman, all right, I guess I'll talk about the positives, of course. Uh, Bachman has a massive fastball slider combo um mid to upper 90s fastball swing and miss power slider uh his changeup's actually somewhat serviceable too um i think it has a little upside uh, you know with professional development i think it could become a legit third pitch Uh, but he already is coming in with those two bankable pitches i think there is a massive amount of reliever risk um more than most college arms that have had dominant college performances and you know he also impressed briefly in his debut he was directly signed to high a one of the few uh arms few college arms actually had like a debut 14 and a third innings in high a uh you know he has a somewhat violent delivery a short arm action i think it's gonna definitely potentially put him in a in a relief bucket um but you know if he's able to stick in the rotation and i think there's a, a shot he can uh, he has huge strikeout upside. I think that the I'm not sure that his rates rate stats are going to be super sexy, but you know, around a four sub four ERA, um, a decent WHIP, 
but you're coming for the strikeouts because I think the fastball slider combo is going to get miss a ton of bats. Um, and absolute worst case scenario, I think, uh, uh, absent injury is that he moves to the pen and he can move really fast in a relief role and potentially be a dominant closer. Um, and early career, he could be something like what we've seen the White Sox do with like Michael Kopech, right? Um, that's something we could see with Bachman. I think they're, you know, if I'm going to be taking a college arm at this point, um, I'm going to be chasing upside. And I think that Bachman has as much upside as any college arm in this class. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it really wouldn't be the absolute worst thing if he ends up in the pen. I mean, I think, uh, like, I have kind of lightly comped him to Craig Kimbrell um, just because of the delivery and the, the two pitches. But um, it seems like the Angels every year are just basically taking uh, whichever player they think they can get to the big leagues uh, ASAP. And, um, <laughs> that, that seems to be how they're handling Bachman so far. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a college pitcher run here because I'm going to take... Gavin Williams uh, with Cleveland and Will Bednar with the Giants. Uh, very different pitchers. Williams is kind of more obvious upside uh, with the big fastball, big breaking ball. He's kind of like not a traditional Cleveland pitching prospect. Um, but, I mean, they, they know how to develop pitchers. Uh, the Giants, I think, really know how to develop um, pretty much everyone at this point. But. I have confidence in them getting the most out of Bednar. Uh, he's kind of more of a pitchability guy, uh, maybe more of a mid-rotation guy, but um, I think that's going to be a pretty nice team context. Um, I mean, you can get a lot of value out of a number three starter with the Giants uh, right now. So, you know, if, if I hit on one of those two, I'll be happy. Uh, certainly both are, are still risky, even as college arms, but uh, this is the point in the draft where I was willing to take my first pitcher. All right. Well, back to me. Um, I am going to go from pitcher to really risky prep bat and Joshua Baez. Um, Joshua Baez is an outfield prospect for the Cardinals. Uh, he was a second round pick, 54th overall. You know, like James Wood, Baez has just gargantuan raw power, like just massive, massive raw power. Um, he doesn't quite have the well present speed as wood does but he does have some athleticism he has a huge arm uh, i think he's a very safe right field profile uh, the big question with bias and, and it's been following him even you know prior to the draft and even maybe even more so now after his brief debut is how how good his hit tool will be uh, in his debut he really struggled in complexly hit 158 305 303 and, you know, he he had five, two homers, five stolen bases over uh, 23 games, you know, flashing a little power speed. But, you know, the pit tool really was a bit problematic for him, 35% whiff rate. Um, but, you know, the Cardinals have actually done a decent job of developing bats like Baez. You know, we saw Nolan Gorman with a lot of hit tool concerns coming out of the draft. He's actually on the cusp of the majors. And now I think a lot of those hit tool controls concerns, while they're still somewhat there, they've fallen away in a big way. Um, and I think if we can get, if they can get Baez to the point where maybe he can be a 250 hitter, I mean, he could be a 35 home run hitter. And I think if he gets that power um, and as he further develops, 6'4 guy, athletic 6'4 you know, frame, he has huge upside if it clicks, but 
I mean, very well may not click. And if it doesn't click, he might just like strike out, you know, 30, 30% more every, at every level. Yeah. I mean, I think Baez, Baez was the guy that I was actually kind of deciding between there. Maybe I should have taken him to <laughs> prevent you from getting him. But I, I do think uh, he's going to be a really nice value in first year player drafts because of that sort of shaky debut. Um, like anyone who was low on him before the draft will look at that and be like, yeah, he's not going to hit. But um, I actually think he, I think he can um, get there. And I, I do agree with you. I mean, I think the Cardinals have shown that they can do a pretty good job with, with prep hitters with, with hit tool concerns. So I think that's a, a nice landing spot. All, All right. right. I guess that means, well, I, w- I would have liked to have uh, taken bias as well, but uh, such as I'm breaking hearts is- over here. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with, uh, I'm not going to shy away from risk again here. I'm going to, I'm going to take Gunnar Hoglund first. Um, you know, obviously he had, uh, he had Tommy John and, you know, we, I think we're all at the point now, or at least we should be where, you know, Tommy John recovery is not a, 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 a sure bet or certainly should not be thought of as a sure bet. Um, but he was he was extremely good um, in his college career, and uh, you know I think if, if I'm going to gamble on a guy coming back from Tommy John, give me a guy who I think had a good com- good command profile to start, um, and uh, and and Holland did. He certainly missed uh, plenty of bats at Ole Miss, so um, you know kind of take him and fingers crossed that everything comes back the way it should and. If uh, if he's at full strength, I think he is on par with um, with basically any of the college arms in this class, save uh, save Jack Leiter. Um, and then the other guy I'm going to go with, I'm going to take Bubba Chandler. I have no idea what he is at this point, other than he is an extreme athlete and some sort of baseball player. Uh, and that's good enough for me. So he might be a pitcher. He might be an offensive. I, it doesn't matter. He's at some point, you know, I, James, I know you, uh, you share, you share my, uh, my affinity for, for Mason Wynn, even though, you know, he's exactly the kind of player who's kind of hard to peg from a fantasy value standpoint, but guys who are that athletic and, you know, show at least a pretty good early acumen for the game. I, I I will take my chances that they'll end up giving value somewhere. So what do you when you're taking a guy like that? Like because for me with with Mason Wynn, like I was extremely interested if he uh, was sent out as a position player, um, less so as a pitcher. Is that like something you think about with like Bubba Chandler? Are you sort of like hoping that he'll be developed one way or the other, or are you just kind of like look this guy's really talented? Uh, honestly no i think he i think he might have more i think he might have more fantasy upside as a pitcher which is really odd to say because it's it's almost never the case and i agree with you it's not the case with with win i think win as a um as a full-time offensive player is a is a better is a better bet but even with that athleticism i think um you know i i think he could be i think chandler could be a potentially special pitcher um but he could also be a very solid fantasy contributor on offense so you know until we know more just you know stash him and and hope he hope he turns into something all right jesse uh back to you all right well i am all about taking players with terrible debuts right now i'm (laughs) I'm about to take another (laughs) uh tyler black 
Uh, Tyler Black is a second base prospect for the Brewers. Uh, already strictly second base. Um, he was the 33rd overall pick. Uh, he had a another small school guy. He had a huge, huge year with Wright State. He had 383, 496, 683. <laughs> um, and in his debut, he crashed and burned, mostly in low A. Uh, Milwaukee player, so, you know, it's it's unfortunate because a lot of their other uh, bats that they selected really did dominate in low A. I mean, self relic, uh, another player that I'm not going to uh, name yet because he may be kicked soon or eventually in this draft, um, also dominated in low A for, for the Brewers. And Black fell on his face. He hit 222, 388 on base percentage, 272 slug. Uh, part of this is an idea that may, that I think Black will be an asset in, in OBP versus average leagues. Uh, yes, it's a very small sample, but he did have a 19.4% walk rate in low A. Um, and this is after, you know, years of showing a very good eye at Wright State, again, in the Horizon League. So, I mean, it's hard to say how, how legit his performance was, um, but... I think that there is a little bit of pop here. I think that he could develop something close to average uh, power at peak. And um, I think that the hit tool, while he did struggle in his debut, I think that hit tool is going to be solid and you know, hopefully above average, maybe, maybe plus, although I'm very skeptical right now about um, following that debut. Uh, you know, again, small sample, and we shouldn't overreact to these types of debuts, but um, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to fall in all first-year player drafts, but, you know, I think that he could be sneaky decent. Um, I think that there have been comps to, like, Neil Walker. <laughs> uh, who, well, not, yeah, not Neil Walker, sorry. Um, Todd Walker. Uh, um, yeah, I'm confusing all these Walkers. Um, and Todd Walker was a very fine, fancy asset for, for many years. Um, you know, someone who could hit, you know, 270 with 20 home runs, give or take at second base, which is a weak fantasy position, and maybe get a boost in OBP formats. I mean, I'll take the gamble on it. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I wanted Baez to be here. I think in in a lot of first-year player drafts, you could get Joshua Baez here at pick 27. Um, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to settle for two more pitchers uh, to close out my draft. Uh I'm going to take Kai Bush, a uh, big lefty with the Angels. Um, he he doesn't have, you know, the pitch mix isn't quite the same, but he reminds me just from a, a size and delivery standpoint to Trevor Rogers a little bit. Um, you know, he, with him, it's more about the breaking ball than the changeup. But uh, I, I think Kai Bush was a, a nice get for the Angels in the, in the middle of the second round. And then um, I was not high on Ryan Cusick heading into the draft i saw a lot of reliever risk there and i still do but it's really hard to overlook the fact that he had a 50 percent strikeout rate at low a um albeit in a in a tiny sample but i mean that that type of strikeout rate is is certainly worth paying attention to i mean i still see a lot of reliever risk there um but you know that's uh, um he's certainly a guy who's helped himself um since signing and i'm not excited about either of those picks but this is where we're at yeah this is where we are at in this draft class and i feel like i'm wedded to making the 
play, picking the player that I alluded to earlier. Yeah, you really um, don't have to, Jesse. I'm going to do it. <laughs> it may, maybe I'll be uh, sniping someone in the process, but uh, I'll take another brewer. I am loading up on brewers. I have three of them. <laughs> uh, Alex Benellis, um, he is a third base prospect from Milwaukee. Uh, I guess he, he first base too. He could be, could end up there. Um, he, uh, Absolutely obliterated Loa in his debut. He had 314, 379, 636 with nine home runs um, across 132 plate appearances. That's a WRC plus of, of 163. Um, now, while those service stats are fantastic and, you know, there is real, real legit power in this bat, you know, there's plus roll, easy plus roll in my mind. Um, there is swing and miss here. You know, his uh, swing strike rate in low A, small sample, but 17% is not good. Um, that is not a good swing strike rate. I think that, you know, we saw him really struggle at times in college. Um, he had a massive freshman year for Louisville uh, that really put him on the map and made him a potential like top five pick for this draft class. And then he was injured in 2020. So even the shortened season, he basically just didn't play. And then he came and he, his stock was already in decline at that point. And then 2021 happened and he really struggled at times. Um, he only hit 256 for Louisville, had 51 strikeouts, lots of swing and miss. He did still hit 19 home runs with, you know, the power is very real. This guy's a big dude. He, he can re really drive the ball. I think there is certainly some small sample and, you know, there are concerns, you know, look, low A, polished college bats in low A should perform. And so we should take his performance with a big grain of salt. But, you know, if the swing and miss, if he ends up being something akin to like a three, well, if he ends up being, you know, a 250 hitter, but he gets to that power and it happens soon mm -hmm. and he ends up in Milwaukee in a very favorable hitting environment, I mean, that's going to still be a very valuable player, even if he strikes out a ton. You know, I think he could be something like what we, what we see with like Bobby Dahlback. Um, that's the type of player I see with Manalis, who, you know, again, like Dahlback, first base, third base type. Um, again, risky. But at this point in draft, like James said, there's not a lot of great options, and I'm willing to take a risk on someone with that type of upside. Yeah, so much for me taking Benelis with the last pick of the draft. <laughs> um, I uh, no, I agree with everything you said on him. He's a, I know he had a detour in Louisville, but he's a he's a he's a Wisconsin boy who's come uh, who's come back home. So he's uh, uh, you know the one thing I will add is that the Brewers tend to do a very good job of um of analyzing college data um and you know this goes for both finalis and for black really um that you know when when the brewers take a college bat you know more than more than a lot of other organizations that you know gives me a little a little pause and and finalis was you know was a really big deal a year and a half ago when it looked like this class wasn't going to suck um so for my last pick uh, I'm going to take uh, Peyton Stovall. I'm, 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 I'm not going to. Um, I will in, in two years, though. Three years. Yeah. Whenever he's available, I will. Do take you him. have Stovall and Devil's Rejects, Brett? Uh, I still do, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. You can ride that through. I, <laughs> I don't know if I will, yeah, but I, uh, I do still have him on my roster. Um, I, I'm going to take, take Max Muncy. 
um, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of deficiency in Muncie's game. There's also not a whole lot of excitement, but, you know, for me, he's the kind of player who, uh, who, you know, when you kind of put him through the player development machine, give him a whole bunch of at bats against, uh, against pro pitching. I, I think there's a, I think there's a pretty good chance that he could end up being a half decent fantasy contributor somewhere. Um, and that's, uh, that's really all you can hope for with the 30th pick in a very below average draft class. Um, plus uh, the name, if you, if you somehow roster uh, major league Max Muncy and minor league Max Muncy on the same dynasty team, the, uh, the, the fantasy team name options are, uh, are, are kind of endless for you. <laughs> all right well um this was excellent i'm gonna go through quickly and uh just list everyone's roster uh one more time um brett had the first pick uh started things off with jordan lawler and then he got brady house benny montgomery jackson job carson williams james wood colson montgomery gunner hogland bubba chandler and max muncie Jesse was picking second, and he has Marcelo Mayer, uh, Jack Leiter, Colton Kowser, Sal Frelick, Jay Allen, Harry Ford, Sam Bachman, Joshua Baez, uh, Tyler Black, and Alex Benellis. And then I had the third pick, um, and I ended up with Henry Davis, Khalil Watson, Matt McLean, uh, Trey Sweeney, um, James Triantos, Connor Norby. Gavin Williams, Will Bednar, Kai Bush, and Ryan Cusick. Um, how do you guys think this went? Was there did it just kind of reinforce how terrible this class is? <laughs> I I think I think it did. Um, <laughs> I think it also kind of it kind of reinforced to me how you know I I guess I have a little bit more of a type than I even thought going into it. <laughs> um, I think that's the way I took one college player out of ten. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. Come on, man. That's craziness. <laughs> what is that? When, when, look, when you join a dynasty, like you plan to stay in it for a while, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's why we do this. Yeah, yeah. Well, dynasty leagues also fold. So you have to be aware of that. Um, but yeah, I think this has definitely changed. I think going through mock drafts in general, regardless of format, you know, if you're looking at first year player drafts or doing like a dynasty mock or just a redraft mock or whatever, I think they're important because they really help if, if, especially if you're looking at ranking or valuing players, I think they help put players into a more keen perspective. So you're looking at players, uh, you know, I think that just doing this in general has maybe tweaked my rankings. I think that I've gone through and been like, well, if I don't really, if I'm going to be drafting X player over Y player, I shouldn't have Y player over X player in my rankings, um, regardless of what Brett says. <laughs> but uh, I think that mocks are important for that purpose. And I, this has been certainly been educational uh, for me. And uh, I thank you for including us, James. Where where does Brett uh, tell you the the lowest Nick Madrigal can be ranked on the <laughs> rankings? What's what's the what's the cutoff line there? I, I'm pretty sure preseason Brett was trying to advocate for Madrigal as a top five prospect. 
Brett, top, top 10 overall dynasty asset. Um, yeah, I think Brett, Brett is a, definitely has a soft spot uh, for Magical for sure. Uh, and I think that we will see um, some retribution uh, for the Magical troop, Truthers out there, uh, hopefully, uh, once he returns from his injury. Um, but, you know, it's it's an interesting profile, super unique, and it's definitely divisive. I think that a lot of people are just going to be out and a lot of people will be sneakily in. And I think the price at this point is probably very low. So not a bad time to buy. I what? agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you already have them everywhere, so you can't buy. <laughs> what, what do you guys got going on, on over at Baseball Prospectus that people should uh, be looking for? And, and what do you guys have kind of coming up uh, this offseason? Yeah, well, we recently put out the top one. 500 dynasty rankings and the top 500 OBP dynasty rankings. So both average and OBP uh, rankings right now. I'm actually, I've fallen down the, I guess, research rabbit hole and I'm like diving into a lot of like research. that's not really fantasy related. So uh, today I put out an article on called strikes and proposed an a alternative rate uh, adjusted call strikes uh, that looks at call strikes as uh, uh, divided by total pitches minus swing. So call strikes divided by non-swing events uh, because there's a lot of noise and it's just a straight up call strike ratio. Um, and also just looking at, you know, how how to weight put different called strikes because a called strike in a 3-0 count where most of the time batters are taking and it's actually the most common pitch outcome pitch result is not worth the same, not remotely close to being worth the same as a call strike in an O2 count where batters are almost certainly swinging or protecting, um, which is the call strike, for example, call strike in an O2 count, 3.9% of the time. There's a call strike in an O2 count. In a 3-0 count, 55% of the time. So, you know, but call strike rate typically just weighs them the same. So, you know, that's sort of what I was looking at, what I've been looking at, and I'm going to be looking into more uh correlations and seeing what types of stats we should try and focus on um, to try and predict future performance. And I mean, this is going to be relevant for dynasty owners for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, uh, definitely an article uh, you should check out. It's um, you know, we got a lot of good stuff going on at BP. We've got uh, the usual postseason coverage and all that. And then we, uh, you know, we uh, we start we start prepping and and cramming for for January through March. So that's uh, well that and that in the book. We got a lot of a lot, we have a, we have a big book to produce. So we uh, uh, that a lot of that happens in the fall. So um, but yeah, lots of lots of exciting stuff. We're uh, you know always always a pleasure to come on uh, uh, to come on with you over at the over at the Roadwire Podcast. You, uh, you you do an awesome job. We uh, you know. We have the we have these conversations when they're not being recorded, so it's fun to have them when they're recorded. Absolutely, I mean, you guys are, are two of the best out there. I really respect everything you guys do, and um, I definitely would strongly recommend anyone who uh, is listening to this who's not a Baseball Prospectus subscriber should uh, remedy that ASAP um, because there's going to be a lot of good work over there uh, this off season. Um, Brett Sayer, Jesse Roach, thanks so much for joining me. Um, we are brought to you by WinBet, and I will be back next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Thanks, man. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.